You're listening to How She Creates. I'm your host, Lauren Hooper. This podcast is for the curious, the wanderer and the wanderers, the playful and the joyful. Every week, we're going to explore how to design a life full of creativity and whimsy. Now let's get curious and go explore something. Hey friend, do you remember this time last year? Do you remember what you were doing? What life was like? Do you remember five years ago? Or what about 10? Has everything changed so drastically in your life? Maybe you expected it to, and maybe you didn't. Did you document that time? Do you have photos from a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago? Do you have pictures of your home you lived in with your college roommates, that cute little apartment that was always a mess but had tons of people in it? Do you have photos of your kids when they were little playing in the backyard and now they're all grown up teenagers and their shoes are all over their house and they're ginormous? Do you have photos of those times? Capturing our memories, telling our stories and organizing them in a certain way that's useful that we can come back and see can be so difficult. I know that life is flying by us and we tend to forget. We always take pictures at weddings or graduations or of new babies, but sometimes we forget to take pictures of those little moments that are bringing us so much joy, but we're going to forget in the end. And so I have designed my course, Stories From Here, to be the perfect way to help you tell those stories and document those important memories and moments in your life. Stories from here is a live online course. So for six weeks, you have full access to me and you get access to my ginormous library of photography tutorials, writing tutorials, and 200 photo and writing prompts. And plus you'll get live teachings and live interaction and feedback from me, plus access to our private community that is full of encouraging and fun, kind people from all over the world. And Every day in May, we're going to take a photo and tell a story of our life. And at the end, we're going to use hashtag magic and we're going to turn it into a book that is going to be delivered right to your doorstep. Super, super easy. So no scrapbooking, no pens and paper and scissors and glue and stickers and glitter and all of that kind of stuff. You're going to be able to document your life in a really simple way way using this system that I have created for you. The class is going to open up next week in April and you are going to be able to join us for our May course. So if you want to join us, the class opens on April 12th and you can go see that website at lauren-likes.com slash stories. Or it'll, of course, be in the show notes. And you can use code HOWSHECREATES to get 10% off your registration. Registration is open for two weeks. And then we start class the last week of April. And it will run all through May. So if you would like to tell the story of your life, you can tell any story that you want. I will be telling the story of what my life looked like through COVID. um, Because that is a story I haven't told very much yet. But it's something I know that's important and that I'm going to need to and want 
want to remember 5, 10, 20 years from now. And so that's the story. I'm going to be telling. You're welcome to join me in telling that. You can tell any story that you want. And we're going to work on figuring out the perfect story for you to tell together in the class. So I would love to have you join me. Again, that's lauren-likes.com slash stories and use code HOWSHECREATES for 10% off. Now let's get to our show. Welcome to How She Creates. I have a really special guest today that I know you are absolutely going to love. Lisa Congdon is joining me today to share all about her creative process and her new book that is incredibly beautiful. You will leave a trail of stars and I cannot wait to learn just all about her and from her because she's been one of my favorite creative teachers for years and years and years. And so I'm really excited to bring this conversation to you guys today. Lisa, thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. I am just honored to have you and I just love all of your work, especially your new book. It has been really incredible to be flipping through that um, and reading it. So I can't wait to get into it, but will you just share a little intro about who you are, where you are, where we can find you? Yeah, sure. Um, So I am, well, I identify sort of most uh, firmly as an illustrator, which, you know, means I work for clients. I also make my own personal work and a lot of it ends up on things like books and prints and apparel and, um, home decor and things like that. Um, so I do a fair bit of licensing and I'm also a fine artist, which means I have, um, I make, you know, one of a kind things that end up in shows and galleries and things like that, limited edition prints. Um, I have a shop um, online and um, I also teach at Pacific Northwest College of Art, a a course in the MFA program called Creative Entrepreneurship. Um, Oh gosh, I, I have published many books. So the one that you're speaking of is my ninth book and um, my ninth sort of book that I wrote and illustrated myself. Um, I've illustrated books for other people, several others. Um, yeah, so that's sort of how I make my living. And, um, outside of that, I love to ride my bike. I live in Portland, Oregon, which is a super bike friendly city. I live part-time at the beach about an hour and 45 minutes outside of Portland in a little town called Manzanita. And I'm actually there right now as we speak. Um, about half a block from the coast. It's really beautiful. The coastline is really beautiful here. So it's a super relaxing, inspiring place for me to come periodically. Um, and I got started in my art making journey when I was about 31 years old and I'm 53 now. So I've been at it for about 22 years. Um, self-taught. I got into it because I was going through a really hard time in my life. And um, that included a, the breakup of a very long-term relationship and um, the shift in my employment. And I was looking for both something to kind of help me manage my anxiety at the time and my, you know, sort of lack of feeling grounded and also um, something to explore in my free time. Like I had um, left a job, which had, you know, I used to be an elementary school teacher. So, you know, I don't know. There's probably, I mean, you know, right? Because your 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 husband teaches. Do you teach also? I can't remember. 
what you just I told me. I used to be a school social worker. Yeah. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. like a, it's like more than a full-time job. Um, and so it was like this, you know, all of a sudden when I left to go from teaching into the nonprofit world, I had all this time on my hands. So it was this way to sort of fill my time. So, um, I never imagined when I started that it would become not only my professional life, but my professional life in the way that it has. And um, so that's just a reminder to everyone that you never know where your art will lead you um, or like how much it will change over time. So originally I sort of, you know, dabbled and then I was like, I'm going to be brave and open an Etsy shop and start a blog. And then I did that in around 2005. And then a couple of years later, I had my first show. And then a year after that, I signed with an illustration agent. And again, even when all of this was happening, it was, you know, I was still, you know, living on a shoestring. Nobody knew who I was. Um, You know, there was no Instagram. Um, You know, I had kind of like a handful of readers on my blog. But I loved what I was doing so much that I just kind of kept at it. And I had this vision that someday I, you know, if I did the right things and worked on the right things that I might eventually um, be able to make a living at it. And so I just sort of plodded along and um, not to fast forward, <laughs> but fast forward to, you know, 20 years later and here we are. Um, I left my job at the nonprofit organization. So I went from classroom teaching to working at an education nonprofit. And I did that for a fair number of years. And then I left that job in 2011. And I've been full-time freelance since 2007, um, but you know, did some, owned a store in San Francisco and did some other freelance outside of art to help support myself until 2011. And then since 2011, so for the last 10 years, I've, I've owned my own art business and been making a full-time living making art. So um, it took me a while, but it's super gratifying that I'm here. I love that story. And I think so many of my listeners will resonate with it so much because, you know, they're not necessarily professional artists or they're looking to get started and not sure, you know, are they too late in life? You know, where are they? And so I'm going to push you back even further. So I'm assuming you have an education degree, not an art degree. Um, as a kid, did you want to be an artist? But because that that was me, that was my story. I wanted to be an artist, but I got to school and I was like, oh, I don't really know how this is going to work. And so I chose social work as my safety path. And then I still ended up here. What What about you? Um, that's so funny. I mean, that story is so common. Like, I want to be an artist, but I'm not sure I can make a living at it. And um, now I think that's changing. I think people are realizing that they can because commercial art has, thanks to the internet, has become something that you can actually make a living doing it. I mean, it takes a while to establish. But actually, I didn't think of myself as being artistic at all when I was younger. I come from a pretty creative family. So I was always sort of comparing myself to my my younger sister who had far more natural ability to draw and think creatively than at least I felt like I did at the time. You were probably more likely to see me out um, playing ball or, you know, I was, I'm super athletic and I always have been. So I think if, you know, my family would have predicted what I would be doing today, it would not have been artist. Like I enjoyed making art, but I just didn't have any confidence that I could do it well. And, um, you know, my mom is, 
it has always been super artistic. So I grew up in a house that fostered that, but I just never thought of myself like as somebody artistic. And so I went through most of my life, you know, doing creative projects and learning to quilt. And I mean, I, I think I took a class here and there, but I never, unlike you, aspired to be an artist, thought I could be an artist. And then um, I actually, you know, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I mean, I think when I was really little, I wanted to be an archaeologist and, you know, and then, and then, you know, in college, I was like, maybe I'll be a lawyer. And I went to work for a law firm and I went to Capitol Hill in Washington, DC and worked for a congressman. Maybe I would get into politics and I just didn't know. And then I don't know if it was out of, you know, I don't think it was out of passion. It was more out of like, this makes sense and could be easy to do. I went and got my teaching credential. I was like, I'm going to do, go do this thing that I know I would be good at. I love kids. And, um, seems pretty straightforward, you know? So I did, I went and got my teaching credential. I taught first grade for a long time and, um, I did love it, although it was so much harder than I ever imagined. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) so, uh, while I was teaching, um, I got a job, I got offered a job, um, to go work at this nonprofit organization. My school was granted a bunch of money from this organization and they, um, kind of um, poached me basically from the school and said, come work for us. So I did. And that led into this career in sort of education leadership. And while I went to that job, I got bored. And I also had just been through a really big breakup. And I just started taking art classes and diving into creativity and discovered that I actually was good at it. And I, and I did love it. And I was this really creative person and I had good ideas and Um, I didn't necessarily know they were good at the time, but I loved it enough that I stuck with it. So yeah, this was never in the plan when I was a kid. Never. Oh, that's so interesting. Cause I feel like people would look at you and be like, oh, she's always been doing this. You know, Mm -hmm. that that's, that's such a great kind of twist on the normal story that we hear. Um, and I love that you're teaching that creative entrepreneurship class. I, you know, my husband's a a musician and he's just like, we we were taught to be classical piano performers, you know, he's like, but no one ever taught us how to get a job, you know? Um, so I'm very jealous of that class that you're teaching. That's awesome. Is this the yeah. first time you're teaching that? Yeah. So I, um, they, they've been sort of, uh, Pacific Northwest College of Art is um, one of, well, it used to be one of two art schools in Portland. Now it's just one. Um, and because, um, the other art school closed, sadly. Um, but they, I've been working in the master's program there. There's a, there's a master's program there called, um, applied craft and design. And I have been mentoring in that program for about four years or so, maybe five. Um, they, um, this particular program is for people who actually want to get their master's degree, but also apply it out in the world. So not it's, you know, a lot of the work is conceptual, but there's a, there's a real focus on, okay, after I leave school, I'm going to go apply this in the real world. So the creative entrepreneurship class is not an elective. It's something you must take. Um, and they, um, they've been sort of after me, because I've been mentor, a thesis mentor for years to teach this class. And they, and I'm like, well, somebody else is teaching it now. She's obviously doing a great job. She ended up 
leaving. And then they were like, okay, we're serious. We really want you to teach this class. And I was like, I don't know if I have time. I'm like so busy doing other things. And um, finally I said yes, because I love, love the um, program head of that um, of that MFA program. And she finally convinced me. And so it's my first semester. I think, um, from everyone I talked to who teaches at the college level, um, I think that, um, this is going to be the hardest year. It's a two semester class. Um, the next semester will be in the fall because I'm developing the curriculum as I go. I mean, of course I had to write the curriculum and put it in a syllabus. And a lot of that was like, I think I'm going to teach this, but I'm not really sure this is the right thing. So I'm sort of changing it a little bit as I go, but every week I'm like, okay, I've committed to lecturing on this topic in the syllabus. So now I have to put together the lecture and then there's activities and assignments and crits and, um, grading. And yeah, it's like, it's intense, but I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I have a great group of students, pretty small. I only have eight students in my class. Um, they're wonderful. and and I'm learning a lot too about, you know, the best way to get information across. And, um, you know, we're doing a little bit of a hybrid. So I have some classes on Zoom and some we're allowed to do in person because I have a really big classroom at the campus. So yeah, it's been really cool. And I'm realizing how much I've learned even since I wrote Art Inc., which is this book that I published in um, 2013 or 14. Um, you know, I was still pretty young in my artistic trajectory when I wrote that book. And it's chock full of, I think, really good information. But I almost feel like I should write, you know, part two now because I know so much more because my experience in the last, you know, seven years has been so deep and so much broader. Um, and I feel like I have so much more to say about creative entrepreneurship than I did when I wrote that book. So I'm able to sort of test that out, that information out and flesh it out a little bit in this class. Um, so who knows, maybe there's another book or another online class coming that's a follow-up to that. Oh, well, we're all looking out for that now. We're all going to be very excited. You heard it here first, guys. Um, I think what you just said illustrated a couple really great points about creative people, um, you know, and how you're a professional illustrator, but now you're also a college professor and those might not seem to go hand in hand, but they definitely do. And, you know, like you said, it's really stretching your creativity to try new avenues and take on new um, challenges. And then you're developing those creative muscles and getting all of these new ideas. And, you know, a new creative book could come out of this, um, which I'm sure you didn't go in expecting that. And I think it's just such a great point that I always try and encourage people here, you know, our listeners to try those new things because you never know, even though it seems so different, um, what new creative ideas and avenues it's gonna, gonna take you down. Yeah, totally. It's like uh it's like saying yes to something slightly out of your comfort zone and believe me, this was I mean, you know, I'm a I'm a successful creative entrepreneur. I you know, I I can come up with the curriculum, but this was a, this was outside my comfort zone. I was like definitely nervous about can I do this? Um not only just in my busy schedule, but like can I show up and like provide really useful information to people? And um and I'm so glad I said yes because yeah, like now I'm, I'm, you know, making all of these, for example, I'm making all these graphic organizers for my students to help them understand the information that I'm presenting. And 
I'm really proud of some of them. And I'm like, oh, this needs to become a thing, right? Like I need to share this with more people than just these eight students, but I get to test it out on them and they get to give me feedback. And yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. That's, that's incredibly fun. And so one thing that you are really big on is teaching and sharing. Um, and you know, you have classes at creative bug. Uh, when I taught at creative bug, I like snooped through all their drawers and pulled out all the art from all the other artists. It was super fun. Um, but one thing that I really, really love that you do is you use your art as activism. And I know everything we do in life is political. Um, and I know you know this as a public school teacher, um, you know, how much politics and the government have to do with, you know, molding little minds and what we're able to do for them. Um, and just in general in life, so many things are political. But I know a lot of people want artists to just draw pretty things and just leave that there. Um, but you don't do that. You use your art as activism. You speak up a ton. You designed um, one of the posters for Biden, which was one of my favorite ones. Um, why do you why do you choose to do this? How do you do this? Just tell us all your thoughts around this idea of art as activism. Yeah, you know, when I first started out, I didn't necessarily think of it that way. And um, I slowly over time began to understand that all art is political because e even when you're choosing not to say something, um, that is p a political statement in and of itself. Um, and so... What's interesting is that like my whole perception has really shifted in the last four years. I think often, you know, we see artists who live in Russia or parts of Africa or, you know, in Korea or in China where there are human rights, you know, um, issues. And those artists are actually risking their lives to make art that speaks about whatever it is that their government is imposing or. I mean, you're shaking your head um, because you've lived all over the world. You know, you know this, Lauren. And um, we often look at those people and, you know, sort of hold them up as people who, who, whose art needs to be political, right? Like, um, you know, Ai Weiwei and others, but, you know, some of whom are, you know, some, some artists are even sort of like taking their lives, you know, um, putting their lives at risk to make the art that they make. And I realized when, you know, four years ago when the election happened and somebody was elected that um, whose sort of approach and um, beliefs and policies were antithetical to what I thought was right, um, I all of a sudden, um, uh, for the first time, could relate to um, what some of these other artists around the world were experiencing, um, a threat to democracy, right? And so. I decided to start speaking out and I, I did and have over the years gotten a lot of feedback. Um, some of it supportive, most of it supportive, but a lot of it, like, I don't, I don't want to hear about this. I'm here to see your, um, your messages of joy and hope. And, um, what I've had to really explain to people is that, you know, I'm a human being who has a lot of joy and hope, but I also have anger and I also have fear and I also have um, you know, beliefs that um, feel challenged a lot of the time out in the world. And it's really, if, if we don't speak out, um, we are 
complacent. We are part of the problem. And I really chose to use my platform and I, I do have a lot of Instagram followers. So, you know, it feels vulnerable and scary sometimes, or at least it did. It doesn't necessarily anymore in the beginning it did. And, um, I just kind of believed so strongly in the stuff that I was talking about that, um, that I got used to it after a while. And I understood that not everyone was going to be happy. A lot of people have stuck around, um, even though they don't necessarily agree with me about everything. Um, and I have lost followers, but that's okay. Um, I think that's the great thing about social media is that you don't have to follow anyone who, who you don't want to, right? It's a, you don't have to, and that makes it a little bit of an echo chamber. But I also think you know, for, for some of my followers who are very, you know, progressive leaning or care about the political landscape, um, in a, you know, in a certain way, they, um, I have even been able to push their thinking about some things that they maybe were on the fence about. So I do feel like my voice has mattered to a lot of people and that I have been able to use my own personal experience as a member of the LGBTQ community and, and such to, to help broaden people's understandings of social issues. And it feels like a really important part of my work. Now, I still post the hopeful, joyful things. I still post things that are, quote, not political, just pictures of flowers and pretty things. Um, I can't ever be that person who has to make a statement every day about something having to do with government or, um, you know, social justice. But, um, but it is an important part of what I, what I talk about. Um, and I also feel like I I've become an activist for things that are less controversial, like um, you know, women's rights and um and uh you know sort of other things that are more socially acceptable to talk about. And I wasn't really talking about much of anything four or five years ago, and things have really changed, and I'm I feel like I'm better for it and my art is better for it. I I really love the way you approach it because I do feel like you still approach it from the sense of joy and hope and beauty. Um, I don't feel like you post negative things. Um, so I feel like you've done a really good job of kind of bringing your voice and your perspective and, you know, merging the two together to share the things that you care about and that are bothering you, but not in a very negative doom and gloom kind of way. And so I really have loved watching that from you. How are some ways that we can use our creative voices to speak up for the things that are important to us? How did you even kind of like dip your toe into that arena? Because you said you weren't sharing about it four or five years ago. Yeah, I mean, I was to a certain extent. I've always been out of the closet. I've always, you know, talked openly about my life. And that in and of itself is a political act um, on my part. So it's not been absent. It's just not been as um, blatant, um, or obvious or intentional in a way. Um, and so I think that the first thing that anybody can do is just to talk about their regular life in honest terms, whether, oh, the other thing I was going to say earlier is like something that, um, like women's rights is like mental health. Like that's not political so much, but it is something that takes a certain amount of vulnerability to talk about. Like, um, and to advocate for. Um, and one of the things that I started to do is just talk openly about mental health crises that I've had in the past or times that I'm not feeling 
um, myself because I want people to see me as a whole human being with, you know, with both, um, you know, with a full range of emotions and, um, and a full range of experiences. Cause I think so many times on social media, we can begin to portray ourselves because we're able to curate what we put out into the world as being like kind of a monolith or as being, um, one way. And what I've really started to do in the last four years is not just post more stuff about politics, but post more stuff about, about my, me and my life. Not super personal information that's going to make anyone uncomfortable, but more like, here's been my experience and here's what I've learned from it. So the first thing anybody can do is just be, be yourself, own your story. Even if your story is unconventional, like my story as a self-taught late blooming artist has helped so many people do the same. You, you know, I might've considered those really vulnerable, kind of almost embarrassing things to share at one point. But then when I started sharing them, I realized like, oh my gosh, half my following is in the same shoes, right? And they're comforted by the fact that they could potentially, um, you know, have a, uh, um, a path later in life that's different than what they've done previously. You know, being yourself is a political act, right? It's a, it's an act of, um, um, uh, I don't know, just sort of empowerment and, um, and, and it's, it's so helpful to other people. Also, if you are going through something in your family, someone in, you know, or, or you are a person of color or you are a person who in belongs to LGBTQ community, um, if you're disabled, um, you know, whatever sort of like, um, marginalized group you might find yourself part of talking about your own experience helps other people understand and become more empathetic and talking honestly and openly and, and with vulnerability about those things is really important. And, and, um, you know, you might say, well, you know, I'm a straight white, boring woman. Like, what do I have to share? And everyone has a story to tell. Everyone has experiences that have been difficult in their lives. Um, and the trick is to find a way to tell those stories that's interesting to people, doesn't divulge more personal information than you're comfortable with because we've all got to feel safe, right? And also um, is honest. And I'm constantly trying to find that balance of vulnerability and honesty, but also a certain level of personal privacy. And, um, you know, that that can sometimes be the challenge, but... Um, and that's my advice is like, really start from who you are and from what your own experience is, whatever issues matter to you and how they've impacted you or people you love. I think that perfectly leads us into your new book, um, and the way that you tell stories through that. And so you've, the book is an illustration paired with a really short, like, inspirational wisdom kind of tip. Is that how you would describe it? Yeah. I mean, not every illustration has um, an, a short essay, but um, a lot of them do. And um, yeah, so it's funny how this book came about. My um, editor at Chronicle, my longtime editor, Bridget Watson-Payne, she emailed me one day and she's like, what if we made a book that was kind of like your Instagram? Like, you know, some hard hitting, some softer, some encouraging, um, you know, pieces of art 
coupled with text that sheds meaning or, you know, some um, personal story. You know, this book, we decided to take a lot of my personal, really personal story out of it um, and just make it a more generic kind of advice. Um, so we'll see how that works once it's out in the world. Because on Instagram, I tend to, to tell more personal stories. And in this one, we tried to make them more universal and less about me and my own personal experience as Lisa. Um, but they're all based on my own personal experience. And um, so, yeah, it's similar to what you would see if you scroll through my Instagram feed. Um, a post that's, you know, something about boundaries or something about owning your story or something about creativity and then a really short essay about, you know, really like the book is some of the most important um, and beautiful lessons I've learned over my lifetime. And some of them have been hard lessons. And some of the stuff in the book is actually kind of hard hitting. Um, it's not, it's not all touchy feely. Um, some of it is really like, you know, is, is a little bit tough to swallow um, because sometimes the the stuff we need to learn is actually really hard to swallow, you know, stuff about boundaries and self-love and, um, you know, it's not all rainbows and butterflies for sure. But I love that you, um, you said what I said earlier reminded you of the book. And that means a lot to me. Like part of, I think how I've grown my brand for better or for worse is through sharing personal stories and through storytelling. And, um, this book, it really feels like um, like something really new for me to put out into the world. I mean, I have illustrated books and I have, you know, business books and I have a book about, you know, you know, late blooming older women, but I, I, I've never published a book of life advice before. And so it's really exciting. And the book is incredibly beautiful. I want to rip out every single page and frame <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, it is exactly what you're saying. You're so aware of your life and the things that are happening and how you can turn them into stories and lessons. How how do you do that? How do you remain so aware that you're able to turn these things that are happening or these thoughts or experiences into these, you know, wisdomous little short blurbs? <laughs> oh gosh. Well, first of all, I did a lot of therapy in my 30s and early 40s. And part of what I learned in not just in therapy, but in a lot of the work that I did during that time was that the key to happiness for me was self, like um, knowing myself. And I had spent so much of my life leading up to kind of some critical breakdowns, emotional breakdowns in my life and periods of depression and anxiety pushing away um the truth even because i was so afraid of um admitting that um that i had certain fears or insecurities or um you know th that i i don't know i i i spent i just spent a lot of time in denial let's put it this way and i think a, a lot of people can relate to that right and so um in therapy, I learned that the more I gave voice to all of the stuff I was ashamed of, shame is really the word I was looking for earlier. It's like, um, I had so much shame about so many things. 
And the more I gave voice to the shame, the more the shame disappeared. And the more other people were saying, hey, me too, me too, me too, me too, right? That's how we, um, be, you know, being vulnerable is how we connect with other people, not through bragging about what we've done well, right? Um, that's not that's not how you make friends. Um, not that we shouldn't also occasionally brag about things we do well. That's, you know, having that confidence and sharing it is is also a beautiful thing. But like mostly we bond and um, as humans over the stuff that we struggle with and how we overcome it. And so I took what I learned in therapy, which is knowing myself and digging into what makes me tick um, is like the path to healing and to, to happiness. Knowing yourself also gives you the opportunity to correct behavior that is ugly or that is um, self-serving or that is cruel to others. I mean, none of us is perfect, right? And part of why we have so much shame is we know we're mean to our little sister or we are, um, we are controlling when it comes to some aspect of our family dynamic, or, um, we can kind of be, you know, um, bitchy every now and again, um, or that we sometimes tell white lies, um, to make ourselves look better, right? We have shame about those things because we know they're wrong. The only the only people who don't know those things are wrong are psychopaths, right? And those those things will eat at you. But the minute you become aware and admit that you have a problem with control or cruelty to others or lying is the minute you can actually um, move past it, right? If you acknowledging stuff is the first step. And then you can say, I don't want to be that person anymore. And I want to make amends with those people that I've potentially hurt in the past. Like one of my favorite sayings is every mistake is progress. And that's if you acknowledge the mistake and you forgive yourself and you maybe apologize if you, if the mistake involved hurting another person, which some mistakes do not involve. Um, that's like, yay, then, then I get to move on and potentially not make that same mistake again. Um, and I don't know. I I just started living in this way. Like this is an opportunity to learn and grow, not a reason to beat myself up. If I beat myself up, I become, you know, I I I stay in this bad place of control. I stay in this bad place of of denial and um and I want to learn and grow. So when people give me feedback, I might feel a little defensive on the inside, but I want to hear it because I want to be a better person. Um, and of course, sometimes I defend myself and say, you know what, actually you're wrong. I didn't, I, you know, but really, um, for the most part, I try to listen and, um, and also listen to my own gut about what I might not be doing well in, in life, in terms of my relationships with other people, or even my relationship with myself, how I treat myself. So knowledge of yourself is power. It is an opportunity. And when hard things happen, it's an opportunity. And, and I just, um, and so that's, I learned it in therapy. I've been practicing it for the last 20 years and I'm not perfect at it, but that's a lot of what I write about. And that's a lot of what the book is about too. Okay. So you've laid out this like perfect, like three-step process for using your art as to be an activist. It starts with knowing yourself, knowing what you care about and sharing your personal experiences and stories. And so I know that people, you know, are going to hear this episode and be like, oh, but I don't want to be a political activist, you know, and whether you think of, you know, everything is, is political or not, but you care about something, you know, whether it be taking your, 
reusable bags to the grocery store or supporting the Black Lives Matter movement or, you know, stopping, you know, slave labor in the Middle East, like whatever it is that you care about, you know, there's a way that you can um, advocate for that and work through that in your art. So, you know, you've gone through this process where you've figured out who you are, you know, you've owned your own stuff, you know what you care about, you know, you're ready to tell your story and share about it. How do you distill it down? Because I know you have these big experiences, these big feelings, but then you will draw, you know, I'm thinking about the bird illustration, you know, that says, we're, we're not free until everyone's free. Did I get that right? Mm -hmm. And so it's just this really simple illustration of a bird. And then with that one quote on it, you know, how do you distill it down to be this really simple art piece that actually makes a huge impact? Well, first of all, there is something to be said for like developing your own style of lettering or figuring out how to, um, you know, express messages in your work. Um, they, you don't have to, I've taught a, a few workshops where people are like, I don't want words in my artwork. Um, and the beautiful thing is in this day and age, most of where we share publicly, there's a space to write something about your work. So even if you don't, even if your work has no words in it, you can use those 2,200 characters in Instagram, uh, or your own voice. If you are sharing your process in YouTube or on a reel, right. To to share what you believe in. So, but just, but distilling into a piece of art is, I think that's part of, I don't know, finding your voice and figuring out like what I have. I use a lot of symbols in my work and a lot of, um, I have a lot of personal symbols and then a lot of symbols that are sort of like relevant to, you know, you know, sort of universal symbol symbols that we recognize, you know, the eye is like wisdom and you know, the four leaf clover is, is luck or serendipity. Right. And I have, you know, I use a mixture of those in my work and you'll see them repeated a lot because, um, they have a lot to do with the words that I also use. And so I try to think of, so for those of you who are potentially interested in having written messages in your work, I try to think of, um, what is the easiest way to say what I want to say. Right. And, um, anywhere from, you know, two words, something like stay open to, you know, I wouldn't, I typically don't use more than 10 words in a piece of art, but that really helps simplify it and kind of, you know, solidify it into something more compact. Are there visual symbols that feel relevant or meaningful to this concept that I can draw or paint in my style? Um, and that feel distinctly my own as well. And like, how can I integrate those? A lot of, you know, art is basically just like abstract background with, you know, lettering on top of it. So you don't even have to be an artist who makes narrative work or work that has symbols in it to express yourself. But that's sort of my approach. Um, my work is known for being very pared down and very simple. I do do some more elaborate, detailed, especially botanical drawings, but most of those don't have messages in them. Um my messaged work is often just my simplest work. And I love a sort of bold graphic style. And I love making the, you know, in illustration and design, we talk about hierarchy. And 
what is the hierarchy of the piece? And in much of my work, you will see that the words or the message is the the thing that gets the the highest billing in my hierarchy, and everything else is sort of the background, even if it t- takes up a lot of space. Um, and so, I'm also just quite frankly looking to make things, for the most part, and not always successful at this, um, really beautiful to look at. Whether it's something super pared down and simple. Or something that does have a lot of detail, like my um, "Every Mistake Is Progress" um, piece is 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 actually super detailed. There's a lot going on there, but the message is still the most prominent part of the piece. So thinking about hierarchy is really important. I typically draw what I want to draw first, and then make the lettering fit in with what I've drawn so that they play together in this really interesting way. You can also do it the reverse if you have a very specific way you want to to letter something. And um you know a lot of people make really cool art um with with fonts and you know so there's no there's no rules about how to do it and how to do it right. Oh, I love hearing about your process. Thanks so much for sharing a little bit more about that. Did you, how long do you think it took you to develop to be at this point where you can kind of say, this is exactly what kind of goes into a piece? You know, I really transformed my art practice in 2017, which is now four years ago, um, when I bought an iPad and started drawing digitally. So if you look at the trajectory of my work, um, up until 2017, I was using a lot of gouache. I was using a lot of acrylic paint and a lot of ink. I was scanning everything and then manipulating it digitally in Photoshop. And it was a very long, laborious process. And then I had a really bad um, condition in my arm, which was making drawing really painful. And it was just repetitive motion, kind of tendonitis. And my doctor was like, you need to change up your workflow. Um, you're working on your trackpad too much. And so I got an iPad that has a pencil, so it's a little bit more ergonomic. And I was doing it just to sort of like help my arm, but I had no idea that this new tool was going to completely transform how I drew. My art became more graphic, more colorful, because I just had more options digitally. I could work faster because you can erase a mistake in two seconds. You don't have to start over. Um, I still love working with uh, non-digital media um, so, so, so much. But um, digital drawing really changed that for me. So I would say in the last four years, I really solidified my artistic voice in this way that um, that I never could have imagined before. And I'm, I'm I sometimes I wish that I could kind of see in the future of like if I hadn't gone digital, where I would be. Um, I ended up around the same time also starting a lot of this political work where I had a lot of messages. So I really even refined my kind of style of hand lettering at that time and. I just, I think I found a tool that really worked for me and that kind of really pushed my work into this place where I can talk very, very um, confidently about my process because it's pretty similar every single time. And that's the great thing about like finding your artistic voice is that once you've kind of quote arrived and I say arrived because, you know, um, we never really arrive. We're always morphing and changing. But once you sort of arrive in that place where you you have a very predictable kind of flow, um, it's it feels really good, and it, and work can flow out of you. you there's more space for creativity because you're not struggling so much with process. Um, I wrote this other book that my last book that came out is called Find Your Artistic Voice, and that book um, 
feel was also pretty personal. I told a lot of personal stories in that book and and part of it is because it took me so long to actually get to the place where I had really felt solid in my voice. Um, it, it, I, I mean, I had been working for five, six, seven, eight years and I still was like, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. So if anyone listening is like, I've been working for a really long time, but I still don't feel like I'm there where I want to be. Or like, I don't feel that I've arrived in that place where I'm in that flow and I, and I can execute the stuff I want to execute. Um, you'll get there. Don't worry. You just have to show up and do it <laughs> every day. Yeah. That yeah, that's incredibly encouraging. And I'll link all these books and and everything to Lisa in the show notes in case you're like, oh, I want to you know read all of these things. Um, and if you really want to see, I think a really great example of how she does this, her new book, you know, you'll leave a trail of stars, really is a great example of that. And when your publisher was talking to me about the book, she was saying, you know, it's great for graduation and like it's a good graduate gift. And I was like, y- yeah, I mean, it definitely is. But I was like, this is what the whole world needs right um, now. You know, you these are. like quick bits of of just inspiration and encouragement. So what are you hoping to add to the world with this book? Well, I have to say it's a really weird time to release a book. So um, this is the first time I haven't gone on a book tour for a book of this type. Um, I mean, I'm doing interviews and stuff online, but um, Normally, I'd be traveling the world. I'd be taking questions. I'd be doing readings from it. And I have a few, you know, like internet interviews, but like it's it's a weird time to release a book. And so I have been thinking a lot like, okay, I'm hoping it gets in the hands of people because I'm really proud of it. I feel like um, it's all, everything in it is stuff I can stand by. You know, I feel really like excited to, put some wisdom into the world and to say, you know, I'm 53 years old. I've been through a lot in my life and I have some stuff to say, right? We're, we, 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 um, I think as women, especially we we're taught to be super humble. And I actually have the word humility tattooed on my wrist, you know, which is always a good reminder, but like, we're taught to be like, oh no, it's nothing, you know? Oh, well, I just hope the best for it. And, you know, it's just little old me. And, you know, I want to say no, actually, this, I, I, I'm really proud of this book. I hope it gets into the hands of the people who need it the most. It's the stuff that I needed to hear five, 10, 15 years ago, um, desperately. And I've, I've tried to make it visually inviting for people too, and inspiring in that way. I kept thinking about when I was writing it, younger me, whether it was 12 year old me or 25 year old me or 35 year old me, I was thinking about, you know, my, you know, sort of my past self, um, as the person who was reading the book and saying, okay, I, aha, light bulb goes off. Like, um, not that reading the book is going to like make somebody change overnight, but I hope it causes people to have revelations about things that are dysfunctional and the way they're kind of operating in the world. And, um, and like I said, you know, some of it's a little hard hitting and, you know, and then go out and try to, you know, make some changes or get some help, um, to, to, to show up in the world in a more confident, self-loving, um, you know, way. So that's really my hope for it. I, I just am like crossing my fingers that, that it, that it does well and that people, people get something out of it, that people who need it, get something out of it. 
Well, I know that my people are going to love it because I love it. It's so beautiful and so encouraging. And so I love that it's so simple. It's a good like coffee table book. I can just pick it up and read a page or two, you know, when I need a little boost. Um, And when this interview comes out, it'll be available everywhere. Correct. I assume. And we'll have links to it in the show notes, of course. Um, So thank you so much for sharing with us. So we're going to do like a quick lightning round of some quick questions for you. Um, What is your biggest creative success? Oh my gosh. Um, That is, wow. Uh, (laughs) I, to me, I feel like my biggest creative success. Oh yes. So last week, um, I think in general, it's just like, that I have kind of built a, a community of people who um, who are inspired by what I do and participate in things that I have to offer. That is so gratifying that this is not a so, 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 a sort sort of this is not a solo activity for me. This is like my art wouldn't be what it is without other people. And one short anecdote: I last week um, there was an article that popped up. And my wife gets, uh, you know, Google alerts for my name. And I was in um, an article in Ad Age, which is a big advertising magazine slash community, um, super old, been around forever. Um, working, not working, had done a, a, an industry survey of s- some of the most um, inspiring people in the illustration design community. And I was, so they, had 50 companies and I'm sorry, 25 companies and 25 people for a total of 50. And I was one of the people that was named. And to me, it was like, not only do I have like just regular people out in the world who, who, um, who I've connected with, but you know, people in my own industry recognize me as somebody who's a nice person. Um, and that, you know, the work I do is inspiring to them. And, you know, that includes like art directors and fellow designers and illustrators and creative directors and publishers and editors. And that is like, to be recognized by your peers is really just to me was like one of felt like a huge accomplishment. So. Oh, well, congratulations. Thank That's you. incredible. Thank and you. how precious is it that your wife has a Google alert for you? Oh, no, I don't even have one for my own name because <laughs> I'm terrified somebody's like trolling me out there and I don't want to see that negative stuff. So, so yeah, she, she keeps that for me, but tells me the good stuff. Yeah. Sweet. Um, what is your biggest creative struggle? Um, saying no to opportunity. I need time and space and energy to be, a uh, uh, to be creative and to feel excited about creativity. And at this point in my career, um, you know, there's a lot of um, demand for my work and a lot of opportunity. And some of it is so amazing. I am like, I can't, how can I say no to this? But I'm already working on like five other things and I can't do it all. And I want to have time to be a good instructor. I want to be a good wife. I want to, you know, I want to relax. I want to ride my bike. And um, I also want to work. But, um, but I have to, you know, I think for me, the struggle is like finding, making the time to just live and breathe and, um, and also have a full career. And I, I don't know that that work will ever end. I think it's just my work. That's my work is like finding a sense of, um, balance between my really beautiful, amazing career choice and my, my life. 
outside of that. I understand that struggle. (laughs) (laughs) What does living a creative lifestyle look like for you? Oh gosh, it's everything from like what I choose to put on in the morning, the color of my clothes, the pattern on my clothes, how I decorate my house. Um, Or now I have two houses, so my homes, um, the bandanas I put on my dog, (laughs) Um, the food I choose to eat. Um, You know, I'm really lucky. I'm like really involved in the cycling world and I get to design cycling jerseys. And it's like my creativity touches so many parts of my life. Like I'm on a women's cycling team and I designed the jersey for my cycling team. And um, I get to do fundraisers for things that are completely unrelated to my art by using my art. Um, I feel like there's no part of my world that isn't touched by my creativity and my desire to like contribute that. Um, and um, or there, you know, there isn't a part of my life where I'm not thinking about something visual, right? Um, something kind of aesthetic. Um, and that is, I don't know, like the fact that I get to, uh, Grace Bonnie once said to me, she, she's writes the blog design sponge or she used to now it's all takeovers, but she once, um, said to me, Lisa, you're so lucky you have this, you, you care about all these things as does Grace. Like she's like really uh, just a phenomenal activist, but she said, Lisa, you have this talent for taking your, the stuff you care about and translating it into something that people love and visually. Right. And, um, she's like, I don't, you know, I rely on other people. I hire people to do that. And I highlight people who do that. And that's great. But like, do you know what a gift this is that you get to do this? And, um, it's so seamless for you. Um, do you know how many people would like die to be able to do that? And, and I do feel like that is the greatest gift is that I have, there's this connection between my spirit and my soul and everything I care about and my art. And, um, it's, so it's like, kind of like everything is an art project to me from getting dressed in the morning to like my politics. So that's a, that's an amazing thing. I feel really lucky. That, that is just the perfect note to end on. That's my favorite thing from the whole interview. All of, all of those things that you just said, I just scribbled down a bunch of notes. Um, thank you so much for being here, Lisa. This was such a fun conversation and I know everyone's going to love it and everyone's going to love your new book. Where can we find you? Okay. So you can find me on Instagram. That's just my name at Lisa Congdon. Um, that's the place I hang out the most often. I post there about five to six, sometimes even seven days a week, depending on my energy level and what I have to share. Um, my website is lisacongdon.com. There you can find my, um, my shop, um, where I sell a ton of products. Um, um, and, uh, those are the, yeah, those are the two kind of main places that you can find me. And, um, and then over email and, um, DMS, I don't check my DMS very often, but every now and again. Um, so email is best if you want to reach out. Awesome. Well, we'll have links to everything for Lisa in the show notes at lauren-likes.com slash podcast. If you're used to going over there, thank you so much, Lisa. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Lauren. This was my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to how she creates. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to know more about the show, please visit lauren-likes.com slash podcast and be sure to sign up for the newsletter to know when new episodes are out and to stay up to date with all of the crafty creative happenings around here. If you would take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes, that would be so helpful to let me know what you thought of the show 
and share with all your friends on Instagram by tagging me at Lauren Likes Blog and using the hashtag HowSheCreates. Until next week, I hope you get curious and go explore something.